Let's pray. God, we just sang these songs. Jesus, we just declared that we were willing to and that we want to follow you wherever you call us and wherever you lead us. And I know, God, sometimes we joke about the fact that singing is when we lie the most because it's so easy to sing songs and sing words. But I also believe, God, that there are many, many in this room who truly mean those words. And may all of us now, as we look at um, your word and as we look at, especially at this theme of mission and this call to follow you, um, that we would not just understand it better, but that we would also recognize it as something that you have commanded us to do. So I pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would minister to each one of us, that you would open our eyes. And as Bill was talking about, if there are fears or if there is boundaries, um, that you would help us to see beyond those and also that you would inspire us. Uh, to trust you, to move beyond whatever may be keeping us from following you truly to wherever you are leading us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the last two weeks, you've been introduced to the theme, uh, Living as a Church, and also to the theme of the year, How to Be Church. And uh, I hope that as we've looked into those uh, first two sermons, that you've already um, learned some new things, especially as we looked last week at the global church and what God is doing uh, around the world and the amazing things that are happening and how the church, you know, in North America, sometimes we seem to think that everything is going poorly, but when we look at the global church, um, Jesus is not um, confined. He is, he is establishing his kingdom and he is um, moving in the hearts of people and many, many are coming uh, to him. And so uh, we want to obviously continue today in that focus and so I think this raises an, an obvious question for all of us, and I'm sure you have wrestled with this as well. Uh, I was talking to some people just this week, and, and one of the things that we sometimes wonder is why is, why is God seems to be doing more in some parts of the world than in others? Why is the church growing in some areas, but not in other areas? And now the answer to that obviously is not black and white. It's not as simple as that. Um, we can't just say, well, it's this or this. Um, because I, I believe that also that there needs to be a, um, um, a drawing from God for the hearts of people. It's not that if you combine A and B, then you have this. It doesn't work that way in sharing the gospel. But I think that there is a common thread that you will see in churches and in places where the church is growing. And you will also see a common thread in the places and in the churches where the church is not growing. And that is one simple word, mission. I believe that if the church is on mission, and if the church is focused on the mission of God, and focused on the mission that Jesus has called us to, that God honors that, because it's God's desire, it's Christ's desire, for people to come to know Him. And when a church loses sight of their mission, then I believe very often, again, it's not God is capable and God is able to do whatever He wants. But when His people, the church, is no longer about sharing the gospel of Jesus, I believe when churches lose sight of their mission, it can lead to the decline. Not only in numbers, but also in the heart of the people. A passion to do mission. And you see this throughout history where there was like kind of, you know, people have basically all given up and then there would be those odd people who would, who would sort of 
in them it would be re-stirred and recaptured, and then they would stir other people up, and all of a sudden revival would take place. See, when we lose sight of the mission, there is decline, which leads to often very poor theology, and then obviously that leads to infighting, and that leads to all kinds of legalism even, and often total collapse of the church. And again, you don't have to be a, a great student of history to see how that has happened many, many times. And at the same time, when the church is focused on its mission, it doesn't mean that the church doesn't have struggle. It doesn't mean that there can't be tensions in theology. This is why we have so many different denominations. But at the heart of a church that is on mission is a desire to share the gospel of Jesus with others. Now the sermon you're about to hear for those of you that have been here a long time, especially during the times that I've been the lead pastor, you've heard this before. And I wrestled with, well, do I just repeat a sermon? I've, I've, you know, I looked it up, and I'm in total transparency. This, will be, this content will basically be four times that I've preached this now. But as I was looking at this theme of living as a church and how to be church, this question that just hit me is, how can we talk about doing this if we don't talk about the mission of the church? How do we ever truly say this is what a church should be or this is how we should live as a church and not talk about mission? My greatest fear as a pastor, I shouldn't say greatest fear, one of my fears as a pastor would be that we would lose sight of our mission and make church about us, make church about what we're comfortable with. And so I want to talk to us today about the importance of a mission. What, what role does mission play? What role does having a defined mission, we have it, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, and, and you've heard me say that that's not enough. We can't just know the mission. We need to believe the mission, and we need to live out the mission. But why is it so important to have a mission? Well, let's look at two places you've probably visited at some point in your life. Coffee places. Let's start with Starbucks. Starbucks. Here's their mission statement. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. I don't know if you've ever been to Starbucks or if you felt this was something that you truly wow, you know, well, whatever. Now let's look at another place, and I'm not saying good or bad, I'm just saying these are the different mission statements. The other place that many of you, I'm sure, have been to is Tim Hortons. I heard an amen. Tim Horton's mission statement is this, to deliver superior quality products and services for our guests and communities through leadership, innovation, and partnership. So there you have them side by side. Not only is one longer, but there is some very, very clear differences in these two mission statements. And we're not going to take time here today to dissect them. And if I was teaching a course on this, I would now send you off with these two mission statements and tell me, what do you see, first and foremost, that is different? Well, let me tell you what I see. The very first thing you will notice is that although both provide coffee, it's interesting to note that the quality is the focus of Tim Hortons. The quality of the product is the focus of Tim Hortons. We want you to know that we will give you a good product. While Starbucks is focused on the person and how the person feels. They want to inspire and nurture the human spirit. 
I will just say this to Starbucks if you're ever listening. I'm not sure how nurtured we feel after we've paid. That's all I'll say. I was going to say more to that, but I won't. And then if you were a Starbucks fan, you would say, well, Tim Hortons, I'm not sure about your quality. You know, and either way, we can... But that, you see right there, two coffee places, very different mission statements, and I'm going to guess that's why when you walk into a Tim Hortons and you walk into a Starbucks, you experience a very different environment. Mission matters. The mission matters. And we as a church... If our mission is to have a good Sunday morning service so that all of us who are Christians can come and feel loved and comfortable and cozy and sing songs we like and and do the things that we're comfortable with and only have the people in our midst who we are comfortable with, it will not take long and that will be the environment in this space. And I'm here to tell you today, as I've told you before, that's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus gave us a mission. Jesus gave us a command, and we must follow Him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16. And you're like, yeah, we have heard from this passage before. Amen, you have, and you are going to again today. Jesus has fulfilled His mission. He came in the form of a baby. He was taught. He's done the miracles. He has now taught others. He's performed many miracles. He's gathered a small group of people that he has discipled and he has led. And he has now passed on the instructions of continuing the growth of, the, of living for him and following him. And then he did the most difficult thing. He allowed himself to be crucified for our sins and for your sins and for the sins of humanity. And then he did the most miraculous thing. God raised him back to life. And he is alive today. And he is ascending to heaven, and right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gives these instructions. And I will tell you that whenever someone gives you some instructions right before they leave, whether it's your boss or your parent, those instructions probably matter most. And so these are the words of Jesus to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven. Verse 16, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He's meeting with 11 of them. Judas is no longer in their midst. And so he's meeting with them and he's having these last few words. Now listen to the the, um, environment to which he's speaking. Verse 17. When they saw him, these are the 11, they worshipped him. And Matthew decides that he's going to include this one reality. And some doubted. When they see Jesus, when they see him in his glorified body... These disciples, these 11 disciples can do but one thing and worship. And I trust that you and I would be stirred in our hearts to worship. But how interesting that Matthew decides to include this detail into his gospel considering what Jesus is about to tell these 11 people. And you might wonder if Matthew later on would have written this and looked back and said, let's take that doubting thing out because that doesn't go so well with what's about to come. So then we must stop for a moment and ask ourselves or talk for a bit about doubt. Because most of us as Christians, and many of you who have grown up as Mennonites, you have been told that the greatest sin you can ever have is doubt. To the point where many of you actually hide your doubt. You don't want to discuss your doubt. 
When if somebody says, man, I kind of doubt that this stuff happens, whoo, you can't. You just have to face value, believe. And yet we need to ask ourselves, how did Jesus deal with people who doubted? Well, he was about to give them the greatest, he's about to give them the greatest instructions that this group could have ever received. See, Jesus is not troubled by our doubt. Remember Thomas? Thomas came right out and said, unless I see, unless I experience what the rest of you guys experience, I'm not going to believe it. Jesus did not say, he's gone too, Judas is gone, now you're only ten. Jesus found Thomas, met with Thomas, and helped him to remove his doubt. Your skepticism is not a surprise to Jesus. Your doubt does not trouble him. He's not uh, you know, worried about how you feel. You can't hide that. What's most important is for us to have an authentic relationship with Jesus, not one based on, I'm going to pretend I understand and I believe these things. Your honesty when you pray and when you wrestle through Scripture, your honesty with Him does not offend Him. When our doubt brings us to Jesus and draws us to Him to say, show me, I want to believe. I believe that this is something that Jesus would far rather have than us live our lives pretending that we believe something when we don't. Now, I'm not here to encourage you to have doubts. But at the same time, if you're struggling with something, take that to Christ. Bring that to Christ. Ask Him to reveal, like Thomas, show me as much as you can, but I'm drawing on you, Jesus, because I want to process my doubts and my fears. So if you're struggling today with doubt in any area, may it lead you to Jesus. Not to rejection of faith. Not to living in a, you know, um, a fake reality and saying, like, oh, I believe these things when, in when you really don't. Jesus is about to give his disciples the great commission. And Matthew decides to include that they are worshiping him, but some are also doubting. And now to the verses where Jesus speaks. Verse 18. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if you have your Bible, if you like underlining things and circling things, I would encourage you to circle all. And if you're using the YouVersion app and following along that way, I would encourage you to make notes in all caps. All. There's something about us recognizing that Jesus has authority over all things, even your doubts. Jesus has authority over whatever may keep you from a fulfilling or whatever may hinder you from fulfilling the Great Commission. This is a is, is this is an important verse for us because the scope of Jesus' authority is the entire universe. His authority is not only in heaven. His authority is not only on earth. His authority is the entire universe. Everything is under His authority. We cannot miss the importance of this verse. All authority was given to Jesus. There's no limitations. He has the authority to forgive, to restore, he has the authority over our bondages, our limitations. People sometimes ask, you know, why, why we believe that Jesus is the only way? Why can't there be multiple ways? Well, in my mind, it's simple because he's the only one who died and rose for our sins, and he's the only one, we believe, who's been given all authority. And so therefore, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the one 
to whom we must submit. He is the one to whom we must line ourselves up with. The church is not the one in authority. Jesus is always in authority. The church needs to see themselves similar to a new customer. There's a story of a new customer, uh, sorry, a new employee, and he's standing at the entrance of the store, and this berated, angry customer comes back in because the product that was purchased did not work out quite as planned, and, and so this angry customer walks in and sees this new employee and walks up to him and he says, I want to talk to someone with a little authority around here. And this new employee sheepishly looks around and finally says, well, if you're looking for someone with a little authority, I'm probably the one with the least amount of authority in the whole place. Yeah, that didn't land. Great joke. Never mind. You're a tough crowd. We as a church need to see ourselves as that employee. We're not the ones with the authority. Leaders, we're not the ones with the authority. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, to him. Jesus is the one with all the authority. Verse 19, just one word I want to focus on for a moment. Therefore, therefore. Jesus has just told them that he has all authority. He has shown them his authority. He has shown them his power. He has, shown, he has taught them. They have all this information. And now there's this connection between what he is and what we are about to do. Therefore, now that he has taught them, now that he has performed all these miracles, now that he has on earth finished everything that he has been called to do, in other words, Jesus is saying, listen up. He goes on, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are words, this is a verse that most of us were able to say by memory with me as I read it. These are words that we understand so well. But we need to recognize this was the command of Jesus to the church. To go. Not to big, build bigger buildings. Not to run great programs. Not just to sing you know, great songs. Not just to preach good sermons. All those things are important. But there is more to that command. To make disciples. To baptize. To teach to obey everything that Jesus had commanded him us to do. And so we as a church have combined all that to our mission statement, which is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It has to go beyond just teaching people what to believe. Parents, if I can speak to you for a moment, do not just tell your children what to believe. Be an example to them. Give them an example of how to follow what you have instructed them to believe. Give them an example of how that is lived out in your life. Give them an example of what that looks like. And Jesus has done that for his disciples. And when we lead other people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, may we, be doing, may we do much more than just teach people what to believe. We need to teach them how to truly and fully surrender their lives 
to Jesus. Too many Christians believe that they are saved because they said a prayer. They said a prayer at one time and that's it. And the problem with that is there's no evidence of that in Scripture anywhere that you can just say a prayer and suddenly you are saved. No, there needs to be a transformation of your heart to Christ. A full surrendering of your heart to Christ. The prayer in itself does not save you. You need to give your life fully to Jesus. And we must always remember that and that is what we must impress on others when we teach them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus must be experienced, not just known. Tim Elmore wrote this amazing book years ago called Artificial Maturity. And in this book, he says there are two things that are happening. Number one, children are overexposed to information far earlier than they are ready. And number two, children are underexposed to real-life experiences far later than they are ready. This overexposure and underexposure produces this idea, this thing that Tim has called artificial maturity. It's this idea that because I know something, then I also am mature. And so a person might say, well, I have grown up and I have all this knowledge from schooling or whatever, and I'm totally for schooling. I love education. But education itself does not necessarily make you mature. A connection of education and experience is where maturity comes from. And so we need to be careful that when we lead people to Christ, that we are not just giving them an exposure to some information, but then not exposing them to other experiences that they need to have in life. See, if we think that being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is just about what we believe, is just about how much we believe, then we recognize very quickly that that those things can lead to some big problems. I don't know if you remember this verse from James. Chapter 2, verses 19. James says to the church there, he says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is not just about believing. It is about living out. It is about surrendering fully to that which we believe. These demons, they believe these things about God, but that does not result in them surrendering to God. And we must make sure that when we are fully devoted to Christ, that we are not just talking about what we believe, but that we are talking about what we are living out daily for Christ. Now that may sound like it's suppressing or depressing and it, it, it's hindering, but if you've ever given your life to Jesus and you have fully surrendered your life to Him, then you know that it's actually extremely freeing. There's something about giving control of every area of your life to Jesus. Because what you need to know about Him and what you need to trust about Him is that He will not take your life and ruin it for the sake of ruining it. He will not do the things that are bad for you and the things that are hard for you just for the sake of making life difficult and miserable. But at the same time, I will tell you that when you give your life fully to Jesus, that does not mean that the rest of your life will be an easy cakewalk. Your life may experience a lot of difficulty and a lot of struggles. And I want to encourage us that we never focus just on what we believe, but that we fully surrender ourselves completely 
to Jesus. And then Matthew 28, verses 20 says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this takes us then to Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, five, uh, chapter 5 to 7. Here Jesus is speaking and he's teaching um, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And in here we have these amazing chapters of Jesus teaching the people what they should do and how they should live. So I would encourage you, read those chapters over and over. Be familiar with the words that Jesus taught to the people. And here we are taught that we are to be salt and light. We're taught about giving to the needy, about fasting and how we are not to worry. We learn about prayer and loving our enemies, about not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. We are taught in these verses about how to be a wise builder in the sense of having a foundation for our lives, not on something that is temporary, but on something that will last forever. And we are taught many other things in these verses. The church can easily slip into a thinking that the mission is us. That the mission is about what we like and what we're comfortable with and what we're, what we're satisfied with. The church must remember that the mission is what Jesus gave us and about, about fulfilling that in everything that we do. The church is the body of Christ and so it must surrender and submit to the authority of Jesus and we must strive in everything that we do to fulfill His mission for us. What a great comfort to know that the very last thing that Jesus said before He went is, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're not alone. Come what may, we don't know the struggles that might come in our personal life or the struggles that may come as a congregation. And last week we looked at the global church and and so many of the places that we looked at where the church is exploding and, and things are going well, I'm sure there are times where those people could look at their environment and their circumstances and consider that maybe Jesus has somehow abandoned them because there's so much persecution, there's so much pain and struggle. And we must remember always that Jesus has promised us that he will be with us to the very end of the age. We need to know that as individuals and we need to know that as a congregation, that this is a promise that we have all been given. So church, that's the mission. That's what we're about, to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And if you're new with us today, can I just say to you, we expect each other to do this, to be a church that is about bringing others in, that is about taking the gospel of Jesus to our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our families. This isn't something we just say because, well, it sounds nice. We expect one another to do this. And I trust that all of us here today would be reminded and encouraged again that as living as a church, that we must go and declare the gospel of Jesus as Christ commanded us. Let's bow. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be here today and that we would truly embrace information that for many of us we have heard over and over. God, I pray that we would never immediately switch our brains to saying, oh, I've heard this before, but that we would rather switch to our hearts and ask ourselves, is this my life? Is this how I'm living? Is this something I'm modeling? Is this what reflects, is reflected in my behavior? 
How often do I pray, God, about bringing people into my life that I can share your truth with and your love with? So, Lord, I pray for us as a congregation again that our mission statement would not just be something that we know, would not just be something that we believe to be true, but something that we are actively, passionately working towards fulfilling. We thank you for what you will do. We pray that you would empower us now as we go from here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless.